Welcome to this episode of Turing Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Will Millership from the Scottish AI Alliance, and today we'll be discussing the AI Accelerator program run by Edinburgh Innovations. Today I have with me Katie Guthrie, the project manager for the AI Accelerator program. And with her, we have two of their, one of their alumni and one of their current startups. So representing them is Craig McKay, founder and director of Shark Tower, and Gianluca Maruzella, co-founder and CEO of Indigo.ai. So um, to start off with, Katie, can you um, start off by introducing yourself and giving us a little bit of details about the AI Accelerator program? Sure, yes. So um, I am working at the University of Edinburgh effectively. So Edinburgh Innovations is the commercialisation arm of the University of Edinburgh. And we are running the AI Accelerator program to support high growth potential companies who are using AI to scale. At the moment, we have 12 companies who are taking part um, in the programme. So it's six months of activity um, and the activities range from different commercial skills. So from pricing to sales and marketing to business strategy, um, we, we cover all bases really as far as commercial skills are concerned. Um, six month programme running until March. Our previous programme had 15 companies taking part. Um, and we deliver the programme through a combination of workshops and one-to-ones. So the, the workshops are designed to kind of get everyone at a level and understand the, the value of the mentors. Um, and the one-to-ones really help people to develop. So they're developing their skills, um, but also developing their, their product and their market offering through the one-to-one um, support of their mentors. They can take their individual challenges into these one-to-one sessions. I think one of the benefits of the programme is, is, is connecting. So it's connecting with each other, connecting with the mentors who can help. Um, and that's a combination of paid experts, but also volunteers who are often sort of seasoned entrepreneurs who've had support in the past and want to share and give back. Um, and connections with investors as well, which um, is also useful for, for the companies here to help them scale. Um, and another aspect is around about the promotion. So being part of the, the acceleration programme is, is quite competitive. I think about sort of 17, 18% of applicants make it through. Um, so actually being part of the, the cohort brings kudos. Um, and the outside world are, are interested in who's taking part in the University of Edinburgh's AI Accelerator. Um, last time when the cohort concluded, we had an article in the Times. So there, there is an element of, of promotion that, that um, companies can draw from, from being part of the, the accelerator. Um, the, the link with the academic expertise is also a draw. We created four academic collaborations last time round. Um, and certainly it's the both the research potential in terms of collaborating with the academics, but also um, the skills pipeline, because obviously the university trains a lot of students every year, a lot of masters, a lot of PhDs. Um, and for companies who are using AI, kind of high tech, getting the right resource is really important. So being able to kind of have that link into the university is also important from that perspective. Um, and there is also a generous stipend. It's been it's 9K this time round uh, for no equity. So as well as all that support um, that companies are getting, they're, all, they're also getting paid to, to take part. So what's not to like, really? Thanks very much, Katie. It sounds like, yeah, sounds like a lot of benefits for the companies that join it. So to kick us off, maybe Craig, um, as an alumni of the programme, you can introduce yourself a bit and 
Tell us a bit more about Shark Tower and um, particularly the AI that you use. Yeah, thanks, Will. Um, yeah, so at Shark Tower, we uh, like to think of ourselves as, as data-driven change management platform. Um, ultimately, try to make project management less complex and democratize it so everybody, not even you don't have to be a seasoned project manager to run change. Uh, and ultimately, we try to use data, machine learning, and AI to deliver better outcomes with less surprises. Um, so that's what we try to do. Uh, where do we use AI? Well, you know, a lot of it is, is machine learning that we, we do. Um, uh, in the world of projects for change management, you can imagine everything's around about understanding uh, connectivity, networks, classification of things. There are lots and lots of factors can affect things. So we're always looking for classification, network effect. So we do a lot of things such as sentiment analysis, text encoding, NLP, neural networks, a lot of simulation, you know, some Monte Carlo stuff, random forest stuff going on. So a lot of us is really around about predictive analytics. Can we classify things? Can we find relationships between things? And can we start to predictive, uh, be predictive with that? And we also then start to move into, um, you know, areas of RPA, more automation, conversational AI, et cetera, as well, to help people navigate stuff without, again, more naturally without having to look for data or information or, or insights as well. So yeah, that's a little bit about us and, and what we do in the AI world, which is a big broad term. Um, we like to think of it more as just like augmented and guiding intelligence just now. It's not quite artificial, um, but there's a lot of smart stuff in there. Yeah, thank you very much, Craig. Um, as I mentioned before, um, we've been using the we've been using Shark Tower in the AI Alliance, and it's been yeah helping me become a project manager myself. So it's it's a, a great program we've I've found. So on to um, John Luca um, finally. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Indigo.ai and yourself and the specifically your system you're using? Yeah, so thanks, Will, and hi, everyone. Uh, this is Gianluca Maruzzella, and I'm a management engineer, and I started Indigo actually right after the university. And Indigo actually uh, has built a platform that uses deep learning and virtual assistant in order to put the user in the center of the relationship with the businesses. Actually, in our opinion, it's crazy that we are using artificial intelligence to write books, to go to the moon, and companies are interacting with users in the same way in the last 20 years, and we are willing to change that. So actually, we are building a platform in which companies put data, and they are using the platform in order to fine-tune a custom artificial intelligence model based on their needs. So they just put data and they are able to build a virtual assistant to scale any conversational AI tool. And then if we are able to understand what people and businesses are saying, then we are able to get customer insight for the business. So what we have found out over time is that um, there is a problem in the customer interaction that I was saying before. And the more a business grows, the less it's talking with people. Our mission is to find a way to highlight the opportunity that this customer interaction is bringing. And of course, we cannot do that without using artificial intelligence. Thank you, John Luca. Yeah, it sounds, sounds really up to kind of what we're doing in the strategy, putting people at the center. Um, that's very important for us as well. So to move on to the, uh, the nitty gritty, um, Craig, I, I'd like to kind of turn to you here as an alumni of the program and kind of ask you, you know, what, what did you gain um, as an organization from the program? And what advice can you give to John Luca to get the most out of the program going forwards? 
Yeah, I think uh, what we gained from the programme, we were slightly different to quite a lot of organisations in terms of we were actually quite a mature organisation and a mature product had been along. Uh, we had been incubated inside another organisation, span out. So, so actually what it brought for us was actually a lot a lot of reflection and questioning. So a lot of actually how are we pitching and presenting the product? How are we going to market? How are we pricing it? So a lot of stuff that we had assumed for a long time that actually a lot of the sessions we had and the professionals we brought in asked, asked us, actually allowed us to re-question things and actually change quite a lot of our proposition, our price that we go to market. Um, I think the other part we got from it was, and I think this is one of the biggest pieces of advice, is that actually learning from completely different products and industries. Um, it's quite easy to be stuck inside your own industry or your own domain um, and actually collaborating both ways. Yeah, I didn't think I'd be able to help a robotics company or a, or a med tech company at all. And actually, you get a lot of helping each other and you gain more insight in yourself. Um, I think one of the bits of advice I'd, I'd give uh, Jean-Luca is, and anybody going to programs like this, is probably and something I probably didn't do enough of, believing I was quite mature and probably was pitching quite well, is really knowing what questions you want to ask, what help you need, and not be scared to ask for it. Because uh, there's lots more. So out with of the sessions we have and the people we'll bring to speak, um, there's a lot more access to a lot more information. And if you know what you want, then you can go and get it. So it actually opens up a whole network, especially across the different uh, things in informatics and the data lab and the AI strategy and the university. There's lots of stuff and in the peer companies. And also get really confident and quite quickly on your pitching. Because you're pitching all the time. You're pitching actually to get into the program. You're pitching to investors at some point. You're also pitching to people that might want to work with you and help you. Because people want to be interested in your problem and actually believe in it because you've got confidence. So actually you want to do that as well because then people come to you and try and you know collaborate with you and help around you. So I think actually getting that confidence in pitching early and practicing it. And there's a good bit you do in the program, you will really practice it as well. But I think that that's key. So knowing the questions you want to ask and being bold enough to ask them and go go be rude. Go go ask for help. Go knock on doors. Um, but also get confident in pitching as well. I think it can really help. Some nice advice there from, from Greg. So um, turning to you, Gianluca, um, obviously your, your company is Italian and um, you're based in Italy at the moment. Um, as I understand it, you're looking to start an office in Scotland. So I'm kind of wondering, like, why did you pick, why Scotland and uh, why this accelerator program in particular? Uh, actually, I can start from the, um, the the last sentence that you said, why we, we are here. I mean, um, part of the answer is, is in what Craig already said before, the suggestion that he made to us. And I really want to say thanks to him. And everything that he said is priceless for us. And learning from amazing professionals like Craig, but also Katie and all of the cohort is something that is really increasing our capability to provide the value to not only to our customer, but to the ecosystem in which we are involved. Actually, you're right, we are an Italian company. We are almost 20 people. We are based in Milan, but we don't want to compete a local uh, market. We want to compete a global game. And the only um, way to do that is to stay in a global ecosystem. And what I found in Edinburgh was really a brilliant one. And that was clear right from the start, right from the moment in which we filled the application and when we did the pitch with Katie. 
and, and also the investment committee. Um, I was super, super happy when I got accepted at the beginning because the University of Edinburgh is recognized as a center of excellence of artificial intelligence combined to natural language processing. Of course, it's a perfect match for us and it was an opportunity to not be missed. We had plans for internationalization, but of course, uh, the opportunity that the accelerator bring to us was accelerating that. And of course, it was too much, too, too much important for us. And actually, um, the ecosystem in which we are involved is something that is really driving us value. And, and it's also important for you maybe to understand the difference with the Italian one. We want to grow a lot and Edinburgh is the best place, but also Italy is a growing ecosystem. The difference is that it's not even comparable to the UK one. This is a problem because there is a lot of amazing entrepreneurs, there is a lot of amazing founders that I have met over time, but the venture capital scene, it's growing. It's growing a lot, okay, but it's not comparable to what, what's happening in UK. The goal that we have is to grow faster and Edinburgh maybe is the best place for be. And this is the reason why I am willing to move our headquarters and start also a, a new journey there, increasing, of course, the chance to have success and compete in this global environment. Well, it's lovely to hear that, um, John Rico, from you, because you know, I, I know that the work that's been going on behind the scenes in terms of Scottish government and um, other initiatives working to create that ecosystem. So it's, it's really nice to hear it from, you know, coming from you yourself. So I guess, um, the next thing, Katie, I'll, I'll come back to you now with a question, is that um, you're kind of a, a seasoned professional in the AI Accelerator program. I'm not sure how many um, you know, cohorts you've been through, but what would you find is kind of, what kind of patterns do you see and what's the most important things for you or that you've uh, identified um, to encourage growth in startups? So I think Gianluca probably put his finger on it a lot, but there when he talked about the, the ecosystem and the community, because I think in Scotland we've got quite a, a connected community, which you know enables people to access the the you know the right contacts, I think. Um okay, you, you might kind of get passed around a little bit, you might have to have to move you know, speak to multiple people, but ultimately that there's a lot of support out there. There's a lot of willingness to um to provide support. So I mentioned the sort of seasoned entrepreneurs that we, we bring on to the, the programme to help help support other companies. There's, there's a kind of a lot of enthusiasm um, to, to provide that support. So I think the connected community and ecosystem is certainly one thing that I think is important to help support startups. Um, in terms of stimulating the growth, I think developing the, the mindset um, something we, we, we shouldn't glorify failure but equally we shouldn't feed it so i think everything that doesn't work is a, is a learning opportunity if that's not too um uh, flippant to say but um i think for for the, the startup mindset you kind of you're they're con the, see the companies are constantly kind of tweaking changing moving especially you know over the last kind of couple of years um i guess that's been even more of a um something that, that people have needed to do um I think the breadth of skills and the kind of nexus of business skills and techie skills um, is something that's really important. And on the accelerator, 
most of what we're focusing on is actually business skills in terms of what we're developing, but then we're also providing that link in. There are some, some areas that, that we cover that are specifically for AI or companies using a lot of data. Um, and of course, we've got the link into the, the university as well and all the skill sets there. So I think that kind of that breadth of skill sets, and it's not necessarily all in one person, it could be, it could be across your team, um, but you need to be bringing together all those right ingredients to, to make the recipe work really, I think. Yeah, it's very interesting. So this kind of breadth of help and support, which allows for this flexibility and this kind of experimentation, I guess you'd call it. Um, yeah. Craig, do you have anything to add on that in terms of kind of most important things? Yeah, there's a, a couple of things. I think one of the other things is is, is that ecosystem. As Jean-Luc has said, Edinburgh has got, Edinburgh in particular, but Scotland, but the ecosystem in data and tech is, is brilliant. And actually, I think you'll learn lots if, if you're continuously curious as well. And I think this goes part to building that network. If you're curious about other people's organizations, generally curious and go in and ask and spend time with, then they'll come and be curious about you and you'll find networks and help and you'll, and you'll see that. Um, so I think that part is really engaging in the network um, and being honest throughout it as well, because it is a small community, it is a village. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not a global network. So I think but you'll get that. So I think one of the things is, is be curious and, you know, uh, if you see a network that looks interesting, if you see something happening in the Futures Institute, for example, just be curious, go, ask, spend time with them. And it might be of no value to you now, but it could be in the future. Um, likewise, with peer-to-peer -peer companies as well. So I think that's the other part I would add. Yeah, I love that um, um, recommendation of be curious. Since I've, since I've started working here, there's just so many different kind of avenues. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, that's interesting, and kind of leads me down, and it's a rabbit hole of interesting things going on in, in the Scottish um, AI world. Um, so, John Luke, do you have anything to add to that one in terms of? I totally agree with Craig and Katie. And actually, one thing that I can add is that uh, I am the also exotic layer. I mean, the, I'm one of the foreign companies. So when I get there, there is also a cultural difference. But it was crazy for me from the beginning to find a lot of to find many people that were really keen to help you out. Uh, this kind of availability was really something that impressed me right from the start. And this is something that uh, I've never found any in, anywhere else. So that was so important for me. Of course, there is no uh, accelerator. I'm not talking about the AI accelerator. I'm, to I'm, I'm talking about accelerators in general. There is no accelerator that will run the business on your behalf for you but their main goal was to put you in the best condition to run your business and actually uh, helping, helping you in having this kind of uh, environment is the most important thing that they can do for you. That's a lovely sentiment, you know, they won't run it for you, but they'll put you in the good, good help you get the conditions to help you run it in the best possible way you can. Um, yeah, Katie, I think. Maybe yeah, I just had one other thing, um, thank you which was a thought on this, um, which was round about, because we're an AI accelerator, the kind of role that legislation and regulation plays. Um, I was listening to the Reef lectures um, at, the, at the weekend there, um, which were talking, there was a question asked about um, legislation and that the implication was that that could um, detract from innovation or could, could um, stop innovation but I actually think in the in the AI space that 
legislation and regulation and clear guidance on what's okay and what's not, or or um, it's, it's an area where there's the legislation and regulation is, is evolving. But I think clear guidance can actually be helpful because if you've got the kind of confidence that what you're doing is sanctioned and is, is okay, then that that can be a good thing. Whereas if, if you're in, in a kind of murky sort of waters where you don't actually know kind of what what's okay and there's a, so much negative press around about AI as well, um, then actually there can perhaps be more fear. So I, I, I personally don't think that legislation and, and is is a bad thing or regulation and perhaps clearer guidance on it is certainly a, a thing to be encouraged as, as far as I can see anyway. Thank you, Katie. That moves on quite nicely to my next um, question. It's not necessarily about legislation, but more about kind of strategy and policy. So um, at the um, Scotland's AI strategy, uh, we've put the three pillars of our strategy are trustworthy, ethical and inclusive. So I want to ask all of you, um, how important do you think these things are when developing AI solutions? Uh, maybe we can start with you, Craig. I, I, so I, I think they're absolutely fundamentally important. I, I also don't think they're any different to any other business. So I think actually to Katie's point, I think we don't quite have the guidance and frameworks yet that tell us how to operate and sell our products um, within a per permitted framework and a, a recognised model. So it can seem a bit grey and can, it can be a bit cloudy, but ultimately any business has to be ethical and inclusive if it wants to have a consumer in the modern world. And it, whatever product sells has to be trustworthy. Obviously, when we're at the bleeding edge of innovation and we're putting things into the black box of AI, it's more so important. I actually think for us, we, we focus incredibly on making sure it's ethical and inclusive. And that's in the foundations of how we operate our business and how we you know, feed our algorithms and how we output, output the data. Trustworthiness is a bit of an area, actually, we are probably not as, it depends what, you're, it's a, it depends what problem you're solving. Because actually, we want our models and our outputs to be better than humans are today. Now, actually, a lot of academics might not agree with that because our models are not going to be 100%. They might not be that robust. But as long as I can tell you how robust they are and the likely and the probability of being correct, if I can tell you that actually they're 60% more probable than humans, and I'm going to give you an indicator, as long as I tell you that, then it becomes trustworthy. So the model might not yet be robust. We may not have enough data. We may not have a, you know, enough thing to prove it. But actually, more likely than not. However, if I was a, creating a GP app and or making a life or death decision, that would be good enough. So I think trustworthiness is all about context. As long as you can have some form of explainability of what you are and doing, you're not trying to say I'm giving you a 100% answer. I'm not. So I think uh, the ethical and, and exclusive elements of what we build has to be fundamental to your company. And that should be built through anything you'd create in your products as well. So that is fundamental and it should be fundamental to any business then trustworthiness is how you explain the output and how people should use it, I think is a key thing to understand. Because a lot of, I see a lot of data scientists get caught up in trying to build 100% robust um, answers to everything and actually not providing any product or solutions that can help people today. And that's about understanding the robustness and explaining that to people so they can use it in a safe way and they can decide whether to trust it or not, depending on the context or the risk involved in decision-making, if that makes sense. So I, I, I try to think about it that, but they're all fundamentally hugely important. 
Yeah, that definitely, definitely makes sense. This kind of um, transparency as being key to trust, you know, building trust. Uh, that's something uh, we're certainly working on at the moment, both in Scottish government and in the strategy. And one of the big key things we found in our research is the the need for more transparency in AI and explainability, because often this um, can be at the back the back of um, developers' minds and not. The yeah, and I think that uh, transparency is probably the better word. Well, actually, um, and explainability. We can look at explainability of the model and how the model is working and everything else. But actually, explainability of output is really important. It's one of the things we really focus on. Shark Tower is okay. We're going to present you with an output model, and we're going to tell you the indicators that created the this score or this this prediction, and these are the things that might be affecting it. But actually, making that usable by anybody. So, uh, and that's key as well. Can you explain? And that's a lot of comes into data storytelling and consumer um, behaviors and stuff as well. So we actually spend a lot of time in behavioral design and consumer behaviors because I could show you lots of graphs and lots of data and lots of predictive models and lots of complicated stuff, but you wouldn't understand it and you wouldn't be able to take a good action on it. And I'm sure that as you look at, there's a lot of that in conversational AI and stuff as well um, is making it usable as a key part of that trustworthiness as well and transparency. Yes, certainly, certainly. So over to you, John Luca, on the same question, this trustworthy, ethical, inclusive, um, or to follow up from Craig. Craig had to say. Yeah, I totally agree with Craig. We are talking um, um, we are talking like always about artificial intelligence, but it's, it seems like that you are forgetting that there is a human that is designing this kind of artificial intelligence, you know? Um, and when you're designing something, of course, you are carrying on your own biases. And this is a problem where you are designing this kind of software because this is affecting life, actually. And so there is um, a responsibility that you should have while designing this kind of, of, of software. And there is another complexity about AI. We are maybe for the first time in our history working with a technology that it's not defined a priori. It's depending on data because it's you feed the machine and the machine is learning from data, you know. So there is another big, big problem because the majority of the data that you find online are from uh, white male Caucasian people. And this is not a real um, representation of the society, you know? So you are actually putting your biases uh, and the data that are online inside the model and the model is affecting lives. And this is really uh, a super, super problem in my opinion. Of course, I'm not proposing any kind of solution because it's a super difficult problem. Uh, on one side, we are brainstorming a lot inside our company and I feel really think that on one side, the first thing that we should do is to find someone that is deciding which are the data that uh, should be uh, sent to a machine in order to do the machine learning thing. But this is another problem here because who is deciding and uh, which is the law that is deciding what you are doing. And second, uh, another thing that you can do actually is to change the people. So, I mean, change the way they are behaving online. By behaving, I mean the data that they really share. And this is something that can provide a change. This is a better solution for sure, but it would take so much time. So of course, this is a complex problem. But if I can, I just want to um, show you something that we have done in uh, inside our company because we, we, I was saying before that we brainstorm a lot about inclusiveness, ethics, and so on. And so we really did an experiment that uh, we call Chatbot Persona. It's a tool that you can use uh, in order to build a character for a chatbot to define its main aspect. And the goal is to not be biased, to not be biased while you are defining the, the character. 
And what we are finding out actually is that more and more customers are demanding uh, instant formal communication like chatbot, voice assistant, virtual assistant, as we were saying before. But if you put limited attention or oversight, uh, and those tools are always developed most of the time uh, by male teams, uh, you will have AI characters that are overwhelmingly speak with female voices. So this is crazy because this is only the results of a bias process. And so we build this tool in order to help designers define the right character not and to not put bias in it. That sounds like a really fascinating project, John Luca. And actually, um, just here in December, we released our, our last podcast. I don't know if you, you um, saw it. it was called Conversational AI, Chatbots, Gender Stereotypes and Misogyny. It was basically about how um, <clears throat> current chatbots uh, and all the popular ones, Alexa and other things like this, basically reinforce these gender stereotypes and racial stereotypes. And uh, yeah, I'd really encourage our listeners and you guys to listen to that um, that podcast as well, because it's if you're interested in that topic, it's re- we had some really interesting guests um, who are doing research on that. Um, but it sounds like you guys are doing great work too. So I'd love to follow you, follow you up after on that. And just to build on, on John Lucas one very quickly, well, I think that is a key uh, a key starting block for anything if we want to be trustworthy and be ethical is knowing how to strip out data that affects our models and knowing when we have enough data as well it's a key thing so i don't yeah you know, not a lot i don't think enough time has it looks at all the different data sets and the features that can affect the models and then stripping out and see what they do and and there's really basic ways in mistakes you learn as you know john lucas talking about you know how easy it is to influence bias in it um i remember back in and i'll plug my own little chapter wrote a book I recently wrote a chapter for AI for project management or project managers but the chapter was all about explainability and trustworthiness and I you know one of the first models I ever built was all trying to do about predictability of workforces but it discounted people from Fife which is a region in Scotland everybody doesn't know that was affected by a bridge it used to only have one bridge and it used to close all the time so we, we did this thing to look at predictability of the workforce for critical projects and it kept discounting people from Fife because they weren't always late <laughs> on general computer, but it wasn't. Now, that's a really simple data set, but it didn't look at the, the best skills, the best person. It looked at who could be there quickest because that was the most important for these critical projects because they were like, they were you know, red alerts. So that was really simple, and I learned it very quickly. But you have to go strip out all this data. And if you look at our world and change management projects, all the data input, all the historic data is crap. It always has been because it's always been written by humans observing and telling a story. It's always been manual input. None of it's actually been taken from any data source and captured in any structure. So from our starting point, it's dreadful. I could put all the historic data in the world into our models and it would give me a bad answer. So we've also got to be cautious of that and tell people that our models can be robust for a long time until we change the data capture as well. So to Jean-Lucas talking about how do we change the way that people behave online, but I've also got to change the way the projects that capture data Hence why we became a platform to change behaviours in projects, not just the data layer as well. So I think you've got to really understand that in any of your products as well and explain that to people. Uh, and it's about not over-promising as well, so that's a key. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting point you bring up there, Craig, about kind of, yeah, this explainability of data and, um, you know, how you guys are working on that as well and, and how, like, unexpected things can create bias against a certain out of people you know like the full, you know, the bridge being closed you know these people are labeled as unreliable or something so yeah really um yeah, fascinating 
So I guess um, over to you, Katie, on those uh, three uh, pillars, trustworthy, ethical and inclusive, and what it means for uh, Edinburgh Innovations and on the whole. Yeah, I think I'm probably largely going to echo some of the points that have already been made, but the, the diversity in the teams building AI solutions is obviously important so that because to Jan Lucas' point about bringing, we all bring our unconscious bias and you can try as much as you like, but it's unconscious. So therefore, if you have got a more diverse team, you've just got a better starting point to try and ensure that you're you're not um, you're not baking in any bias. Uh, I think some of the points about the data sets that you're 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 putting in, you know, I think we focus a lot on the you know the, the AI skill sets, the 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 deep learning, and I think actually your foundational principles, data data management principles of understanding the provenance and quality of the data that you're putting in are are they're foundational and they're essential, so that you can as Craig pointed out, strip out anything that's going to skew your data or, or or gap fill if you need to, or or, or work out when you're you know, playing your results back where where there are issues with the, the provenance of the data that's gone in. So um, I think that's another aspect. Uh, the point I was making as well about, about regulation, um, there may be areas where we just shouldn't be employing AI because it's not the right thing to do because the risks are too high. Um, and I think that's where that could help as well, because then you really are, you're, you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is, if you like, because it's trustworthy, because you've identified that there are certain areas where you, you just shouldn't be doing that. Um, and I, I think that's probably still to play out. Um, there are, there are the, the legislation is still evolving on that. So we will, we will see how, where that goes. Yeah, um, certainly. Yeah, thank you, Katie, for your input on that. So that's bringing us towards the end of the end of this podcast. Um, so just as a final wrap up, um, I will finish with Katie and the AI Accelerator program. Uh, what's next on the agenda for the program? Well, yes, um, the current program is running until March. So we'll have our demo day on the 17th of March in the beautiful Playfair Library Hall, which Fingers crossed we will be able to be holding that in person. Um, we've got a lot of activities planned for the cohort for, for early new year, in the new year. We're expecting that we will reopen for, for new applications, but there is a planning phase at the moment underway. Um, so we, we expect it will continue and we'll reopen for new applicants, but we might be aligning the, the calls with certain priority themes. So we still, still don't 100% know that, but there are there are also um, various options around about commercial sponsorship. Um, I think thematic theme, well, thematic options might work quite well. Last time round, we actually ended up unintentionally really with, with five health techs and five companies that were in a sort of climate tech space, which which worked quite well. Personally, I really love the eclectic nature of, of the, the companies that we have because we, we don't we're not sector specific and that adds something. But then actually the groupings um of companies in a not too similar space, but you know, health tech, but very broad categories can also be useful as well because you can then focus on, you know, medical regulations or something like that 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 is um of benefit to them. So 
I am looking forward to, to the opening and, and seeing where we get to yet, but I don't have a definite answer as to when we're going to reopen. Um, I would say if anyone was interested in being kept informed of what we're doing, then just they can drop me an email, get in touch on, on LinkedIn or whatever, because, um, you know, we will be hoping to get some brilliant applicants like um, so we can have cohorts as good as our, our last one and this one. So um, for next year, hopefully. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to that um, event on the on the 17th of March. Um, so yeah, that's all we have time for today. And thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Thanks to everyone. And thanks very much for um, for having us. <laughs>